Um, this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll be reading from verse 1 down through verse 10. And the title of, the, the title of my message today is going to be Strength and Weakness. Strength and Weakness. And so I want to read through this real quick, and then we'll pray, and, and then we'll get right into it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And as I pray, would you, please, would you pre, please pray also with me silently as we go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. And Lord, first of all, thank you for this opportunity to get up and open your word. Thank you for the ability to come to a place and talk about you freely. And thank you for the ability to even have this freedom to do this. Father, I ask that today that you would give me the words to say. Father, I ask that you would remove anything from my lips that shouldn't be said. I pray that you would guard my mouth, guard my heart from error. And Father, just get me completely out of the way. Lord, I ask for your grace right now. I pray that you give me the words to say. And I pray that your truth comes across clearly, not mine. Thank you for all you've done and all that you are, Lord. And most of all, I pray that Christ is glorified and edified here this afternoon. And if someone here in this auditorium or under the sound of, of, of my voice, Father, does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, Father, I ask that your word would go forth clearly and the gospel would be presented. And Lord, if, I pray that if someone does not save, Lord, that they would accept Christ today before leaving this property. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The title of my message, as I said, is Strength and Weakness. It took me a while to figure out the focus of this message today, but that when it comes down to it, where do we derive our strength 
in times of weakness. If we were to turn towards the world's wisdom, if we were to turn towards secular wisdom, I think we could all be in agreement that we are told to look within ourselves. For the most part, the the secular world will tell you if you're going through times of grief, if you're going through times of sorrow, if you're going through times of loss, not knowing how to deal with a situation, we are taught to look deep within our own selves for our own strength. We are told to find an inner, our inner being, find purpose within our lives and hold on to that purpose to enable us to be stronger. And so through the world's wisdom, through worldly wisdom, we are told to look within ourselves. But it doesn't take me to stand up here to tell you that when we look within ourselves for our own strength, we fall flat. Oftentimes, we may be able to find something to to, to, to help us along the way, meaning temporarily, there are those in the world who, when they find themselves in times of grief or weakness or pain, they turn to alcoholism. They may turn to addictions. They may turn to uh, buying certain things here and there to try to alleviate this weakness or this time of grief within their lives. And you all know what I mean. It's easy now. All you have to do is swipe to buy something. Everything we need to help us to feel comfortable is at our fingertips. We live in a a country where, frankly, we are spoiled. We have things at our fingertips. Anything that we want, we can get our hands on. And so we are told to look deep within ourselves for strength. But as we're going to look here today, we're going to look at Paul. And we're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians, and we're going to see... In 2 Corinthians, exactly what was going on inside the church of Corinth and what he was having to deal with in the text that we just read. And we will find that our strength only lies in the power of God. There's a Welsh, well-known Welsh, uh, Welsh preacher um, who died around 1981. Uh, he was a medical doctor for many years of his life. He was a surgeon, a medical doctor, and he, he was saved, and he felt the Lord's call on his life to preach. He felt the Lord's call on his life to pastor. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones, and his quote surmises this brilliantly. And his quote says, I sometimes think the very essence of the whole Christian position and the secret of a successful spiritual life, notice spiritual life, not worldly life, A successful spiritually life is just to realize two things. I must have complete, absolute confidence in God and no confidence in myself. Those words ring true today. And if you think about it, those of you who've been Christians for a long time, who've walked with the Lord for a long time, you've realized that over the years. That to boil everything down, to to shake everything out all the way down, it's It's really two things. We have no confidence in ourselves, and our confidence is in God. We have no strength in ourselves. Our strength is through His grace in our lives. And so we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I told Pastor Darren that I was going to try to be quicker today, (laughs) um, a a little faster today, so we're going to work through this together because there's a lot of information, but I want to make sure that you understand what's going on in the heart of Paul. Where we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is very emotional for Paul. 
It's a very emotional time for him. You think of the, of the, the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth, again, this, we're not going to go in depth, but the city of Corinth was originally inundated with all types of paganism, um, uh, sex, everything you can think of, that was that place. If you could uh, compare it to anything now, you might compare it to Las Vegas in the middle of the night um, is is what it was all the time. I mean, they had different things going on in the temples that I'm not going to talk about. But it was a horrible, wicked place. And Paul went there and he evangelized and a a local church was born from that. Uh, People were saved under under his preaching and, and his teaching and God moved there. And he poured his life into this church of Corinth. He loved them. He had a love for them, a Christian love for this church at Corinth. And, and he poured his heart and soul into them. You go back to 1 Corinthians. You remember in 1 Corinthians, there were some big issues going on in the church at Corinth that he had to address. He also, he also answered some questions for them on certain doctrinal issues. But when you come to 2 Corinthians, he talks of himself uh, uh, writing letters with tears. He, and then he also talks about, he emphasizes God as the comforter. Comforter. He emphasizes sacrifice. I mean, he is, he is in a position of hurt in 2 Corinthians. And what, what has caused this hurt is because false teachers, who he describes as false apostles, have come into the local church at Corinth and begin to teach false doctrine to teach false lies, and, but before they can do that, they had to attack Paul himself. And by attacking Paul, they could minimize Paul and the view of Paul to the people. And so they would talk about his appearance. They would talk about his speech. They would say, oh, his letters are good, his writings are good, but when he shows up in person, there's nothing special about him. His speech isn't very good. They would, if, if, also, if you dig a little bit deeper, you can see where they were insinuating that he's, he is not a true apostle, that his claims aren't true, that none of his stories are real. And so they had to attack the person of Paul in order to begin teaching lies and false doctrine. In chapter 11, verse uh, 13, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore is no great thing of his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. He's calling out these false apostles, transforming themselves into angels of light, coming into the local church, spreading lies, spreading doctrine. But the the heart of Paul is so broken because of the fact that the people are listening to them. There's some that are turned away from Paul's teaching, that, are, that, that have believed these false teachers and these false accusers. And so Paul begins to go on and basically spread his credentials, explain his credentials to them of his apostleship. Paul, We'll see here that Paul hates boasting. He hates bragging. He doesn't like talking about himself. But what he ends up boasting in is his weaknesses and his infirmities. In chapter 11, verse 22, if you want to look back there real quick um, to add some context to what we're going to talk about today, he begins comparing himself to these false apostles. Verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the ministers of Christ? Notice he didn't answer there. I speak as a fool. I am more. 
in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times I received, received I forty stripes, save one. So 39 stripes. Five times he was scourged exactly the same way Jesus Christ was. 39 lashings. Verse 25, thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I spent in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, in the perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He gives them a rundown of everything that he ha- he's had to go through. Notice he's not bragging at positive things. He's not bragging at things he's done. He's not bragging at accomplishments he's, he's made. He's not bragging of any of these things or boasting. He's boasting in his infirmities. He's boasting in what's been done to him that he suffered through for the cause of Christ and for their cause, for their cause as a local church. Verse 28, beside those things that are without meaning what he just described. He says, That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and, and I burn not? Meaning, he feels what his, his, the, the churches that he was invested in, the, his pastoral care of these local churches, his pastoral heart that he had for these churches. He felt their burden. When, when they were in sin and, and steeped in sin, he felt that agony of them being in sin. He cared so much for the, care, the local churches that he cared about their spiritual growth. And this pressed upon him heavily. This was a large burden for Paul, was the care of all the churches. Not the administrative pieces, but the care of the people. The care of the people and the souls of the people. Verse 30, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. There you have it. If he's going to glory, he's going to glory in his infirmities, in his weaknesses. The God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. And he begins to go on about talking about being in Damascus. In Damascus, the governor, under Aratus the king, kept the city of the uh, Damascenes with garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. He is still going and telling them everything that he has been through. And now we get to chapter 12. So he's, he's basically comparing himself to these false apostles and giving his credentials. In chapter 12, verse 1, It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he says, I don't want to boast. I hate boasting, but it's necessary at this point for me to remind you of a few things. It's it's necessary for me to tell you these things. Verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. And so at some point during, we don't know exactly when. We know that it was 14 years prior. We can kind of narrow down some time frames and we can guess at when it occurred. But at some point, Paul went to the third heaven. He went to heaven. And he says, if it was in the body, I don't know. If it was, if it was uh, out of the body, I'm not sure. But he refers to himself in the third person because he's trying so hard not to brag or boast about anything he's done, or anything that, that is, is more special about him. And you remember that Paul had, had multiple, 
multiple uh, um, interactions with the Lord Jesus Christ, multiple visions. He was trained in Nabataean Arabia by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If he was going to boast, he had enough to, to, to basically trunk anything that anybody else was going to say spiritually because he had so much that he could brag about, but he's not wanting to. Verse 5, of one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but again, in my infirmities. He goes back, I will glory in my weaknesses. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, or I refrain, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. So he says, my boasting is not bragging because I'm speaking to you the truth. These things occurred, these things happened to me. But I'm not going to brag because I don't want you to think any higher of me than you ought to. I don't want you to look at me any higher than what you think I should be. These false apostles that were coming in were no doubt bragging on themselves. Were no doubt trying to justify their false apostleship to the church there. He says, I'm not going to brag about these things. I'm just letting you know my credentials. Verse 7, this is where we get into our message today. The first thing I want you to see is that Paul begins to, to boast of his weaknesses, as he said. Verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, what I want to talk about real quick is this thorn in the flesh. We're not told exactly what this thorn in the flesh is. We're not told exactly what this thorn in the flesh is. Uh, there, there's been people say, well, it could have been a, uh, a physical ailment because it mentions flesh. Uh, it could have been his eyesight, malaria, different types of sicknesses that Paul had that humbled him. But when we take it in the context of what's going on in the local church at Corinth, and his battle with these false apostles and the people's hearts being turned from him. And it's hard for us to understand that. It's, I, I think uh, maybe, uh, you know, being in a pastor's family growing up as my dad being a pastor, I can kind of maybe see a little glimpse of that. But I will never understand fully pouring your lives into a local church plant being with the people, witnessing to them, seeing them converted, uh, helping them in their spiritual growth for them to completely turn away from you and to turn to false teaching and, and reject you. Um, and so he's, his heart is broken here. His heart is broken. And so I, in the context here, this thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, that thorn of the flesh, when you look at back up in the Greek, it's actually referencing a stake, a wooden stake or a pointed, uh, a, a, a pointed piece of wood. Uh, and so when we think of a, of a thorn, we think of little thorns or uh, so, you know, something small. Um, this is a large piece of wood that he's comparing to being stuck in his, in his flesh. But then he describes it even further, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Uh, that word messenger is where we get the word angel. Uh, uh, and so you, you put messenger and Satan, the adversary, Satan, you think of a, de a demon, correct? You think of a demon, a demonic attack, not that he was possessed. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is God allows things to come into our lives. Uh, we look back at the, the book of Luke, and we see when Satan sifts uh, Peter as wheat. We look at back when Satan asked permission to go after Job. We see these things. God allows things to come into our lives. 
He allows them to come into our lives. But this messenger of Satan, this demonic attack, which Paul says is a thorn in his flesh, it could be a physical ailment. We're not told. It could be very much so. But I believe here that it is the false teachers coming into this church and the people turning away from him. It's the hearts of the people of the church that have turned away from the man who has invested so much in them. They have become critical of him due to these people coming in, believing the lies. And this is breaking Paul. This is breaking him. We can sit here and talk about what the thorn in the flesh is, but just know this. It is something that is breaking his heart, and it is a weakness. It is an infirmity. And so we need to see here, first of all, that God allows weakness in our lives, just like Paul, to humble us and to keep us humble. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure. Some questions we might ask is, why would Paul need to be humbled? Why would Paul need to be humbled? This man has been through so much already. He was a chosen vessel of God. He's been through so much. He's been beaten. He's been put in prison. He's been stoned. He's been bitten by poisonous snakes. He's been everything we can think of has happened to Paul. Why would he need to be humble? Because Paul himself admits in Romans chapter 7 that there's a battle between his flesh and his spirit. And this flesh and this flesh and this spirit wage war daily. Wage war back and forth. The things that he knows he should be doing, he doesn't. And the things that he doesn't want to do, he, he does. He's a man. He's flesh. Oftentimes we look at someone like Paul. Or we see people on TV that are well-known you know, Baptist preachers or whoever we want to refer to as good preachers. And we put them on a pedestal and we think they can do no wrong. When in reality, they're flesh and blood. They have a flesh that they battle daily. They have a flesh that they battle daily. And in order for Paul not to be exalted among others, in order to humble him, God allowed this thorn in the flesh. God allowed this to come into his life. The same way he allows weakness in our lives. He allows infirmities into our lives. But why? Why does he allow these things to happen? Now, they can be physical. They can be physical ailments. My wife, she injured her foot. She's in a cast. The first thing she told me after she got a cast put on was maybe God allowed this to happen to me so I would slow down and focus on Him. And that's the way we should look at different things in our lives when they come to pass. Our moments of weakness, whether that's a loss of a loved one, a family issue, um, in the ministry, having uh, you know, problems in the ministry, being discouraged, or, or even, I mean, let's call it what it is. In ministry, people do talk about you, right? It happens. Uh, even teaching Sunday school uh, happens. As a Sunday school teacher, you, you have to remember that God allows these things to happen to humble us sometimes, to humble us, but not in a negative way. Not in a negative way. It's simply to drive us closer to Him. To drive us closer to Him. Drive us closer to the Lord Himself. Um, you know, I look back at my life and uh, recently, I'll say my Christian life over the last couple of years. Um, and I look back at during that time and see how uh, I was fortunate enough to teach an adult Sunday school class at our old church in New Jersey. And there were times where I would spend a week pouring myself into a lesson. And there were times where I would pour myself into study. And there were times where I would give everything I had or felt like I gave everything I had to study. And there were times when I would wait and I would wait and I would put it off to the last minute. And then I would study. And then the Lord has his way of showing us 
There was one example I'll, I'll tell you about real quick. Was in an adult Sunday school class, I had people come up to me saying, hey, you did a great job, that's wonderful, every week. I had people applauding me and different things, and uh, I, I started to feel, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm okay at this. Pride set in. Self set in. The next week, the Lord, in His way, poked me in the chest. Uh, we were doing a lesson in Acts, and we were going through, and I had one of the church members ask me a question. I didn't know the answer. If I would have continued reading one chapter further, I would have known the answer. And I talked to the pastor that day, and I said, the Lord poked me in the chest today. The Lord humbled me today, because I realized that I can do nothing without Him. I realized that in the arm of my flesh... And in, in, in my own strength, I am nothing. John 15, 5 said, For without me, you can do nothing. I am the vine. You are the branches. Without the vine, we wither. Without Him, we wither away. And so God allows things to come into our lives, situations to come into our lives to humble us. But how should we respond to this? How should we respond to this, these times of weakness that come into our lives? In humility... In humility, weakness should drive us to the Lord in prayer. It should drive us to seek Him. The book of James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God resists the proud but giveth grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. We are to come to Him humbly, humbly in prayer. We are to seek Him. So we see Paul here. His response is not to attack the cause. His response is not to attack uh, whatever issue. If it was a physical ailment, he wasn't attacking the physical ailment. If it was these false teachers, he wasn't going after them specifically. But what he's saying is here is he went to the Lord. He went to the Lord in prayer. And he said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice. He begged the Lord. He pleaded with the Lord three times. Three times that it might depart from God, take this away from me. God, take this away from me. Please take this away from me. And oftentimes, when we're in times of weakness in our Christian lives, or uh, as a believer, we'll go to the Lord and we'll want Him to remove situations. We'll want Him to take away our trials. We'll want, want Him to take away our burdens, our tribulations, things that we're dealing with. And we beg Him over and over, please take these things away. Take them away. You know, I, I, I'll tell a little bit more of this story at the end, but last week was my father's birthday. Uh, he spent six months in the hospital at MD Anderson, MD Anderson with leukemia. And my mom sat by his side every single day. And I have no doubt that my mom prayed every day, not only for strength, but the, if it would be the Lord's will to remove this sickness from my father. But sometimes the Lord has a different answer for us, doesn't he? Sometimes it's not, I'm going to take this situation away from you. And that's exactly what he told Paul. If, if the Lord could do, if the Lord would do, and I'm, I'm saying this kind of, um, not literally, but if the Lord could do anybody a favor, you'd think it would be Paul. Paul went through so much. He suffered so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. But what was the Lord's answer to Paul? And this brings me to my third point. We must accept His will, his will and purposes in our weakness, regardless of the answer. But here he said unto him, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In short, his answer was no, Paul. Yeah. No, I'm not taking away this thorn in your flesh. 
I'm not taking away this infirmity from you. I'm not taking away this weakness from you. I'm not doing it because my grace, my unmerited favor towards you, Paul, is sufficient. It is enough. It is enough. In the same way with us as Christians, the same grace that is lavished upon us when we are saved is the same grace that daily sustains us. It's the same grace. Why is it? Why is it that His grace is sufficient for us? For my strength is made perfect in weakness. His, his strength, His power, that word strength in the Greek is dunamis, And that's where we get the word what? Dynamite. Dynamite. Power of God is what is made perfect in our weakness because it's in our weakness that His power is displayed. Because when we come to the end of ourselves, when we have nothing left, we have to rest on Him. We have to rest on On Jesus Christ, we have to rest on the Lord in His strength. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And then what's Paul's conclusion here? What is his conclusion to these these thoughts? And what is his conclusion to what Jesus told him? He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For whose sake? For my own sake? For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this leads me to my fourth point. We must embrace times of weakness to put His strength on display in our lives. Paul, when he was going through all of this, everything he had been through, the physical strife, the care of the churches, these false teachers coming in, turning his, the people he had just poured his life into, his own ministry. Uh, later on in, in the New Testament, you read about the, I think, it, I believe it's in 1st or 2nd Timothy. I apologize, don't quote me on that, but he talks about how the believers in Asia have turned away from him. He suffered. The, the, the hearts of the people that he invested in had turned away from his ministry, everything he had worked for. Paul didn't have anything else to live for except the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ himself. I don't know if you know that or not. Paul was destitute. Paul didn't have a family. Paul wasn't rich. Paul was poor. He spent his life in and out of prison cells for the cause of Christ. He was beaten. He was left, he was left pretty much dead outside of a city and y'all heard me say this last time, and then went back in and preached the gospel to the same city who had just stoned him. He didn't have anything. The ministry of Jesus Christ, the ministry of reconciliation that we discussed last time was his life. That was his life. And to see it being ruined by false teachers broke him. It is often said that before before God can use a man greatly, he must break a man greatly. In order for God to use a man, C.H. Spurgeon says, sometimes God has to to shatter him to pieces before he can use him in a mighty way. So Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Happily, happily, therefore, will I rather glory. I will boast. I will rejoice in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
He was willing and happy to take on all these trials and tribulations because he knew that when he came to the end of himself, Christ's power would be on display with him. And you, as believers, know you can look back through times in your life. Sit, sit for a second and think about times back through your life when you have gone through struggles, when you have gone through loss of loved ones that are very dear to you. Uh, it, you lose your job. Something catastrophic happens in your life. What do you as a believer do? Sometimes we sulk. Sometimes we wait. But at some point, God brings us to Him. At some point, we run to the Lord and we rest in Him. And His power indwells us. That, that term that rest, may rest upon us means that his, 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 his power is inside of us, giving us help, working within us. It sets up a habitation inside of us. And it works within us. His, his power, His strength. In Psalms chapter 40, if you want to turn there with me real quick, I'll give you a second. Psalms chapter 40, we're going to read this together. But others see when we're in our weaknesses, others notice our testimony. Others notice how we respond to these times. And His strength is put on display. Psalms chapter 40 and verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. There is, God receives glory when we respond properly to His weaknesses that He's, that he's allowed to come into our lives. When we're facing trials, when we're facing temptations, just as Paul was facing being hurt by people, because it, it come down to it, that's what it is. He was being betrayed by people whom he loved. He turned to the Lord and said, I gladly, I gladly embrace these so that his strength will be made evident in my life. And we should do the same. In verse 10, therefore I take pleasure and infirmities, and reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul realized that, and he says here, that no matter what I'm going through, and, and we see it reflected all through Paul's writings, but no matter what I'm going through, no matter how bad it is, no matter how, how, how horrible the situation may be, he knows that God has allowed this into his life to humble him, to bring him humility to where he looks away from himself. He looks away from the church in Corinth. He looks away from all the distractions to who? Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is his strength. Jesus Christ's grace is sufficient for him. And his strength is made perfect in weakness. And it drove him to the Lord just as it should immediately drive us to Christ. To, to seek Him in prayer. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Seek Him with your whole heart. Study the Scriptures. Get yourself into the Scriptures. Study them. Look at them. Don't just read them as part of a Bible reading plan. But get into the Scriptures. Study them. Tear it apart. Tear the text apart. Look deeper in, in there that what God has for you. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you through the text of Scripture. Spend time in prayer. Private prayer. Communing with the Lord. Prayer is so important. Commune with Him. 
church attendance, being in church, being under the expositional preaching of the Word of God. That is part of our spiritual growth. And also how God shows us grace. Paul realized that his weakness drove him to the Lord. And he was thankful for that. He rejoiced in those weaknesses. As he said earlier, it's Thanksgiving. And how often are we thankful for our weaknesses and our infirmities? How often are we thankful for the hard times in our lives? We're so quick to thank God for our salvation, as we should. But how often do we thank Him for His daily salvation out of the cares of this life and trials of this life because His weakness is perfected? I mean, His strength is perfected in our weakness. You know, I, I, I sit here and look, this, look at this, my last point of embrace times of weakness because His strength is on display in our lives. When I think of this in closing, when I think of this and when I see this, I can only think, I tried to think of a personal experience to put towards this. And the only personal experience I can tell you is exactly what I started off with a little bit was my father. Growing up, my father was worked out. He took his vitamins. He was an attractive man. He was a good-looking man. He was a, he was a good preacher. He was uh, someone that I looked at that he, had, he was, a, he was a, a man's man. And then he got leukemia, and he spent six months in the hospital at MD Anderson, going through chemo, going through therapy. He would lose weight. Every time I would see him, he would be thinner and thinner and thinner. His hair, those of you who know him, he had amazing hair. His hair was gone, stripped, completely gone. The man I knew was slowly dwindling down to nothing physically. But I can tell you that the testimony that he had in that hospital still rings true through the nurses and the doctors who worked with him during those six months. There's still medical uh, care, medical practitioners who contact my mom regularly because of my father's testimony. Because that when you walked into his hospital room, there was biblical hymns playing on the radio. Because it wasn't, it wasn't a sulky mood. It wasn't a sad mood, especially around me and my sister. It was praising to God. It was glorifying God because even though he was dying, he gave God the glory. And I remember... The last time I spoke to my father, and I've shared this once or twice before, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if anybody here has heard this, but the last time I was with my father, the last time I spoke to him, uh, it was me and him in the, ho in the uh, hospital room by ourselves, and you know he's dwindled down to nothing, very frail human being, very feeble. Uh, he had an oxygen mask on, he was laying down, his hair was gone. He could barely breathe. He was struggling to even get his breath out of his lungs while he was sitting there. I did the majority of the talking uh, of a rebellious 18-year-old, but I told him I loved him and everything else. But I'm sitting there, and we're talking about things as much as we can, and him struggling to breathe. And the last thing that my father told me as he sat there, unable to really breathe, frail, not able even to move the oxygen mask away from his face on his own, with tears rolling down his face, he told me four words. And this is the last thing I remember my father telling me. <clears throat> Those last four words were, live for the Lord. 
and he could barely get those words out. Even though he was in his weakest state physically, even though he was barely alive, that was the strongest that I had ever seen him because his strength shined through that weakness because of the Lord. And so today, where do you draw your strength from in times of weakness? Where do you draw your strength from in times of weakness? We must seek His face. We must run to Him and know that He's doing a work in us. He's doing a work in us. And that He will never leave us nor forsake us. Now for what I told you this afternoon about having this comforter, about having this helper in time of need, about having this God that cares about us in our times of weakness, that gives us sufficient grace. That is only if you're a child of God. That is only if you are saved. That's only if you are a believer. And if you're lost here this, this afternoon and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've never believed on Him as your Savior, you must admit the biggest weakness of all. The fact that you cannot save yourself. And you must come to Him humbly and realize that you are a sinner. That He is a holy and righteous God. And that we've offended a holy and righteous God. And because He's holy, He must punish sin and the sinner. Because He's just, He cannot look away from sin. He must punish sin. And that there's nothing we can do to reconcile ourselves to God. There's nothing we can do on our own to make ourselves right with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. So there had to be a payment. There had to be a sacrifice. Jesus Christ, God Himself, entered into His own creation, was born of a virgin, the man, Jesus of Nazareth, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect, sinless life that we could never live. We have never lived and will never live. He lived a perfect life, perfectly obeying God's law. And He went to a cross, and He died on that cross. And on the cross, He took all of our sins, all of our guilt, the sins of the whole world were placed upon Him. And on that cross, Jesus Christ, our substitute in our place, our vicarious atonement, our substitute, took the wrath of God that was due for you and me upon Himself and He swallowed it down. And He took our place. He took our punishment on that cross so that our sins were imputed to Him and His righteousness was imputed to us. And He died and was buried and resurrected for our justification. And now He is arisen and he's seated, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father on high. And He's returning. And you say, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Come to your in, the end of yourselves. See your weakness for what it is. Your infirmity for what it is. Your malady for what it is. And it's sin. And you are guilty before God without Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus today and trust in Him today.